Amen. And thanks be to God. This is God's word for us. Church, are you ready to come and gather in God's house? Sometimes your hearts are so ready and sometimes you just are not. You had a horrible week and your heart is just not there. My week was fine relatively. And yet as I gathered there, as I was just worshiping the Lord with our worship team as Jake led us congregational meeting, as we were singing together, man, my heart heart is being reoriented to the truth of who Jesus is. I hope you get to experience that. If you don't know who we have been proclaimed thus far, his name is Jesus. And I hope you get to know him, you get to experience him as a result of being together this morning. I'm so grateful that we get to worship Jesus in our gathering today. As you noticed already, we are beginning our new sermon series today in the book of 1 John. What do you think when you talk and when you hear about the book of 1 John? For some of you say, yes, God loves us and therefore we shall love one another. I love this book. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And on the other side, some of you might be saying, first what? I I know it's a book somewhere in the New Testament, but I don't know much about it. Well, thanks for your honesty. Let us be caught up. Let us catch up on one another here. This book, as you might have guessed, is written by who? Apostle John, the same guy who has written the Gospel of John in one of the Gospels books in the New Testament. And what do you think about John when you hear his name, Apostle John, the disciple of Jesus? When I think of him, I also think of like Apostle Paul, who has written so many books in the New Testament. What kind of pastor was Paul? What kind of pastor in comparison to Paul watch John. Like when you imagine Paul, this prolific writer, great pastor, he plants a church. Paul plants a church in Antioch and that becomes, boom, mega church. In the Bible, outside of Bible, it becomes one of the most influential churches in history, especially in the early church. Even nowadays, there are many church names, the church of Antioch. Very successful pastor Paul is. What about John here today that we are about to look at? Was he a successful pastor? John is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, Asia Minor, which is more like a modern-day Turkey. Was this a mega church? Not at all. Was this church influential? Not really. This church will soon disappear in the history. Now, was John a failed pastor then? By no means. In this letter, you will soon see that John's heart bleed over, trying to preserve God's truth at the same time, to love well. What's your life be marked by? John is arguing that it is supposed to be marked by truth and love that we will see in this letter. See, when you read, read this letter, as far as the truth, at the time of this church in Ephesus, there was this great false teaching and propaganda that was spreading in that region. And the propaganda wasn't that bad when you hear initially, but this one theological slippery slope led one after one after one. It goes like this. There were some group of people thought, oh, spiritual life is great, but physical things, eh, it's not that good actually. 
It sounds spiritual. I mean, why are we here today for spiritual things? So it sounds very spiritual to say spiritual things are good, physical things are bad. But this bad theology, how scholars called Gnosticism, led to believing that, well, spiritual things are good, physical things are bad. Therefore, God didn't really create the earth. This earth is bad. That led to, well, if spiritual things are good, physical things are bad. Jesus could not have possibly taken human body. Human bodies are bad. So in the end, these Gnostics even deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they thought all physical things are bad. And John is desperately arguing, church, be wise. Be wise for those false teachers who are spreading their propaganda. They sound spiritual, but in the end, that slippery slope will lead to one after one after one disaster, even denying the deity of who Jesus is. At the same time, John is calling for the discernment. He's also calling to love. Love one another. Love one another. John 4, 8 to 9 says, whoever does not love, love does not Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son and only son into the world that we might live through him. So John is saying preserve truth, discern for what is not true. At the same time, love well. God loved us first, therefore let us love one another. What's our life supposed to be marked by? truth and love and you will see that theme throughout this letter this epistle in the first john and today we are about to dive into the prelude of it all and we will reveal the purpose of this book as we go along yet in today's section you are about to see in first john 1 4 john says that i say all things that i'm saying for what to make our joy complete is there joy in your life today, church? Or is your life just marked by joy? Come on, Jin. Look at the world. This is a difficult, difficult time. I got nothing but joy. Joy seems to be a thing that you have to desperately fight for. But joy really is worth fighting for. So if you're at the brink of losing your heart today, church, don't lose heart. Joy, this fullness of joy is available for all who trusted in Jesus Christ. Do you want to have this joy? Let's dive in together what Apostle John has to tell us. There will be three movements that you are seeing in this section, verse 1 through 4. The credibility of Christ, the incarnation of eternal life, and the joy of fellowship. So it's actually very logical. He's talking about the credibility of Christ, that Christ is a real thing. And that the incarnation of eternal life, that eternal life has come to dwell among us and that leads to abundant joy when you experience, when you know him. The credibility of Christ, the incarnation of eternal life, the joy of fellowship. Let's go. Here is Christian Life 101 for you. First, the credibility of Christ. Read verse 1 with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Here from the very beginning, John claims the authority 
and the legitimacy of who Jesus is. This is not only for First John. This in one sentence claims the authority of everything that he has written in the Gospel of John. Hey, all I've written in Gospel of John, I have seen it. I have touched him. He's the real thing. I have lived with him. I've heard him talk. I have heard him teaching. I have seen it all. And this is a real thing. Yet also, while he's talking about the credibility of Jesus Christ, he's establishing his own authority as well. In the Bible, when he says we, it often includes all of us. But actually, not in this case in 1 John 1, 1 through 3. When John says we, this is what we call editorial we. John is saying, hey, we, the ones who have walked with Jesus, the ones who had seen the risen Savior, the apostles, I have seen him actually. We, the disciples of Jesus, actually have touched him. And I'm telling you, he is a real thing. Do you know him, what Jesus is saying? Or what John is saying here? John is really banking on that. I've seen it, I've heard it, I've touched it, and then we proclaim this real life to you today. Now, I assume there are some of you who are seeking and considering the case for Christianity. Perhaps not everyone really believes what John says. There are many arguments. I really think Christianity has a very compelling argument. One of them I'll give to you today. If you look at all the major religions, if maybe you are considering some other religions as well, oftentimes it is burst out of escapism and isolation as well. If you think of Islamism, how it was born, around like 610 AD, Muhammad abandons it all and goes to a cave in isolation and receives a revelation from angel Gabriel about Allah. And he goes to different culture proclaiming about the deity that he has seen and heard what he has received in isolation and separation. See, that's one way to do it because do you know who is the hardest person to convince that you are a God if you want to make a false religion? Your family. Husband, go home. Tell your wife, honey, I really have been thinking about this. I think I'm a God. <laughs> What's your wife going to say? Are you out of your mind? Why is she going to say that? Because she knows you. She has seen you. She has touched you. She has lived with you. She knows how flawed you are. Uh, this Muhammad lives in the isolation, sees the revelation, and goes and proclaims. What about Buddhism? Buddha, a similar way, he lived in very aristocratic culture in the noble society, but he leaves the riches and abandonment, goes to live with a completely different culture, with the poorest of poor, in that isolation and separation, meditation. He receives this insight. Everything is illusion. See, it's in a sense escapism, even atheism, agnostic. There is very compelling argument for Christianity, but we don't know what that's all about. This is all there is. It's often burst out of escapism and isolation. But Christianity, what John is saying, this is not out of isolation. I've seen him. I actually have lived with him. I really have touched him. And is John simply being naive here? Is this naivete? No. This letter, this epistle is written around approximately 95, 80 to 110, around that time. And by that time, John was about 80 to 90 years old, perhaps very advanced in his age. And John is saying, I have seen it all. I mean, my grandpa John here is speaking. Hey, after seeing it all, Jesus is the real deal. There's credibility of who Jesus is. I have actually seen him, lived with him. Do you believe that it's a real thing? 
At the end of his life, after seeing it all, experienced it all, John is saying, there's one singular message I want to proclaim to you, and his name is Jesus. Do you trust that Jesus is a real thing? Keep going. So first, the credibility of Christ. Second, the incarnation of eternal life. Read verse 2. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. What is John talking about here? The life appeared? What does that mean? What John is talking about is what we have talked about about a month ago, Christmas. Our God, Jesus, has come. He took the form of flesh. The life appeared now, and we've seen it, testified to it. Here in John's mind, if you read a lot of Johannine letters and epistles, Johannine community in particular, they really associate Jesus equals life. Like if you look at Gospel of John 1, 4, it says that when John is introducing, he says about Jesus, in him was life. And what does Jesus say is about himself in John 14, 6? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. This eternal life that has appeared is talking about Jesus, the Son of God, who took the form of flesh to come and dwell among us that the real Christ has come in the form of flesh. It sounds like very just intellectual concept, right? Incarnation seems like, oh, wow, yes, Jesus took the form of flesh. John is repudiating this. John is rebuking this false teaching that Jesus is not the Son of God. No, it's far more than that. Christianity is not just for the left brain. It's not just for your intellectual exercise. It's for your heart. Church, do you know what incarnation proved? That Jesus came after you. That he's pursuing you even now. See, we live in a world of social distancing. We live in the world of isolation. When you're so isolated, you get to live with yourself 24-7. Wherever you go, you go with you. And more and more you think about yourself, you get so self-absorbed. And more of self-absorption of your problem, you look it through a microscope, and all you see is yourself, the tunnel vision, like a spiral leads to great anxiousness. You feel almost paralyzed by anxiousness and worry. In the middle of your self-absorption that you cannot rescue yourself, what Jesus is saying, hey, you could not have rescued yourself, so I came down for you. I love you. In the world of silencing we live, you are sometimes afraid to open your mouth. As soon in a binary world that we live in, as soon as you open your mouth, you feel like you will be categorized into a one or the other category. It becomes me versus them. So what do you choose? You just choose to be silent because you don't want to be caricatured into a cartoon character. And then more and more you silence yourself, you feel so unheard. And you are here today. You sometimes feel so unseen. I'm here, but does anyone care for me? All you experience is a slow death of yourself. God, I feel unheard. I feel unseen. I feel so anxious. There's nothing but joy in my life. But what incarnation proves is that when all you feel is death, Jesus breathed life into you. He loved you. That's why he came. Not too long ago, I talked to a friend of mine. Um, She's been married for a long time with a kid. And she told me, Jen, 
I thought I died myself. I thought I died to myself when I got married. I was like, that's fair. I said, why? Well, I died to my independence. I have schedule. I have to come home a certain time, be with my husband, and et cetera. That makes sense. I get that. You died to your independence. And then she gave birth to her child. He's about five, six years old now. And she said, Jen, I thought I died to myself when I got married. But when I give birth to my child, I mean, this is the thing that I love the most. My child, I love him. As much as I love, I see myself dying every day. My ladyhood, femaleness, I'm giving up every day for the motherhood. I love motherhood. I love it. And I see myself dying every day. Where are you? Sometimes all you experience is death. Feel unseen, unloved, unnoticed. What incarnation proved is that, hey, what, while we experience the death, this eternal life, John says, has come down. Because eternal life has come down, that eternal life will soon turn into death. His life, when he becomes incarnate son of God, now his death clock is ticking. 30 years later, he will go upon the cross for our sins and iniquity. Because he gave up his glorious glory and came down to die, give himself for us, now for us. All we experience death comes to life in him. This incarnation proves that you are seen, you are noticed, that Jesus loves you today. So church, I don't know what your heart trial is today, but do not lose heart. Jesus is pursuing after you. You can come to him and because Jesus has come for us first and foremost. In the middle of fear and anxiousness and unknown, incarnation proves that this eternal life has appeared to us. So what John is saying first, Jesus is a real deal. Number two, and Jesus has comforted. He has incarnate, become son of God. What does that lead to? Third, the joy of fellowship. Read verse three and four with us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, up to now, up to verse 3, John has been using editorial we. As that we have seen it, actually, as the apostles, I have touched them, but now I'm sharing this to you. So that what? So that we write this to you to make our joy complete. That our is no longer editorial we. That our, what John is saying is, I have experienced it, and I want to share it with you so that you can experience this fullness of joy as well. The joy is available for us, for all who have heard about risen Savior, what John is sharing here. It's for all of us. When life is so difficult and hard, when all you feel is unseenness, you heard it last week, Pastor Bill preached to us, when all you feel is suffering around us, do you really believe what John is saying, the fullness of joy is possible? Here in the first section, a prelude to this epistle, John is saying, I write all this to make our joy complete. See, we often understand joy as the absence of pain, absence of suffering, absence of sorrow. But Christian joy is not the absence of pain, but the presence of God. What John is saying that Jesus is real. He has come. Therefore, this joy is possible as you share the fellowship with one another. Carl Barth once said, In the face of distress, 
Christian joy proclaimed a defiant nevertheless. In the face of distress, Christian joy proclaims a defiant nevertheless. Joy is still available for us when you share that. Therefore, do you believe that really Christianity, it's not, you don't exist in just you and God in horizontal and vertical relationship. It's also me and God. And as you pursue together, it's triangle relationship. It's you and I too. We share a fellowship. This word koinonia, the Greek word that we are familiar with, is that when you share, this joy is doubled. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I preached on the Lord's Prayer and I quoted C.S. Lewis, how he talks about how praise completes our joy. When you find your favorite author, you cannot wait to share. When you find your favorite restaurant, you want to tell others because as you share, your joy is complete. That means this. Charlton, may I give you one application point today? If you heard me preaching quite a bit, you know I rarely do this, but I really encourage you today. When you feel unseen, when you feel unloved this week, would you actually pick up your phone and call your friend or call your small group member and would you just share a life story? Hey, I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. Hey, I grew up in the best family possible. Hey, this is the highlight of my life. This was the lowest point of my life. But through it all, God has been good to me. As you share what Christ has done in your life, as you fellowship in that joy, your joy will be doubled. The fullness of joy, this eschatological sense that John is talking about, is available. The foretaste of fullness of joy is available right now today. So share what Christ has done with you. It's very therapeutic, but it's not only very therapeutic, it's very reorienting because you really get to remember, oh, wow, God has been with me through it all. And as a hearer of your story, I'll rejoice with you. As I share my story, you will rejoice with me as well. And we will point one another to who Jesus is. Please do that. Take time this week. When you feel so unseen and unloved, pick up your phone. Call one of your friends. So very obvious point is that first and foremost, joy must be shared. Second, do you realize that John here does not say, I pursue joy to make our joy complete? Is that what John is saying? No. John is saying, we write this to you. We share about Jesus Christ to make our joy complete. In other words, joy is always a byproduct. You cannot pursue joy itself to find joy, actually. A uh, great example is the Sermon on the Mount. The blessed is the one who seek after righteousness. The blessed it can be translated as happy is, joyful is, flourishing is. But Bible never says, Blessed are those who are blessed. Blessed are those who hunger, those who seek after righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. It's always byproduct of pursuing something else. For John, hey, I'm telling you, after I've seen it all in my life, I've lived 90 years of my life, and there's one singular message I want to share, that Jesus is real. I have seen him. I have touched him, and he has come. There's no longer social distancing for Jesus. He came to dwell among men, Emmanuel, God with us. And John is sharing this glorious message of Jesus that leads to this abundant joy. This fullness of joy is possible. So the foundation of joy for John is Jesus Christ. What is the foundation of your joy today, church? In light of sharing stories, I'll share my story. I remember one time when my foundation was completely shaken up. 
I'll tell you what happened. Many of you gave me nice words, thank you. After Christmas Eve service, I sang during my message a little bit, and then many of you liked it, thankfully. In my when I was in college, I actually studied the voice. I studied the voice performance. One day, perhaps I wanted to be an opera singer or what. I spent two and a half years in the college practice room to sing and learn how to sing, articulate that well. And then judgment day has come. After two and a half years of practice now, you get to sing in front of all the voice faculty, voice performance faculty, to prove your worthiness. Can you continue in this major? Are you good enough to continue be a perhaps opera singer or name it, whatever your dream is? I built up all my life, worked so hard for this day, voice platform. The judgment day has come. Now I'm singing in front of all the critics. Um, I know what I've done all this time, so I'm nervous. I was supposed to sing two, three songs. I go in in front of these critics, my voice faculties. And after singing first song, I'm experiencing meltdown. God, I cannot do this. I cannot. All of a sudden, all my two and a half years I've lived in the practice room while all my friends go out to the beach to enjoy their life. I'm in the practice room singing four or five hours. Flesh is big, and I'm crying. I actually ran out in the middle of it. A voice faculty had to come and get me. It's okay. And I, 20 minutes later, I gathered myself and saying, guess what the result was? What makes great stories? And now I passed. No, I failed. I had to change my whole major. In the end, I graduated not a voice performance, music and Bible combination, but they are basically saying, Jin, you are not good enough. My two and a half years that I poured into my life went waste just like that. When I was in college, I also was a chaplain in both groups, in my also in residence hall and also in my fraternity. So I was preaching weekly, and now I'm supposed to stand in front of these hundred guys that I've been sharing lives with. What am I going to say when my life's completely ruined? I was hurting. I was deeply hurting. I'm like, God, this is what I wanted in my life. But I don't know what happened. I, I wish I journaled back then, back that I didn't journal. So I cannot remember what I preached exactly. But after I preached the message, my roommate, who was not a believer at the time, comes to me. And Jin, I don't know what happened, but you are glowing. You are shining there. I'm like, what are you talking about? I was hurting. But I don't know, Jin, you are glowing and shining. What I realized was that even though I really was hurting deeply, somehow it almost liberated me. I'm still okay. When my foundation completely flat out, Jesus still loves me, this I know. And he still loves me, and I will be okay. There was some sort of a mystical joy that I could not explain to this day. And my roommate said that I really shined that day. My face was glowing in the middle of deepest pain that is possible. Church, therefore, joy is not just the external circumstance that will dictate, but joy is found in Jesus, that he loved you to death. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more, any less. And the very God has come down to pursue you right now where you are, in your sorrow, in your unseenness. Would you share Jesus? He's worthy of your proclamation. That's what John is doing. We write this to you. We share this to you to make our joy complete. Share Jesus with others, with believers and non-believers. Pick up your phone today. Tell them about your life story, what God has done, and you will slowly find the joy in you. Because you know in the end, it is not by our merit, but it is because of what Jesus Christ has done. When he became incarnate son of God, that purpose 
was one day to die on the cross for our sins. And the cross proves that he loves us to death. When you trust that, when you really know that, you will know that your joy will go a couple floors deeper in your heart. So I say all this to you to make our joy complete. Let us experience joy together. Let's pray. God, you have come to us first. Incarnation, what a glorious mystery that is that Jesus Christ, you made yourself lower than the angels. And because you have come to us now, we come to you without hesitation, without fear, because you showed us that you loved us first. God, joy, it's hard to find that in our lives when we are so surrounded by circumstances. But, oh Lord, would you meet us right now where we are at? I don't know what kind of burden we are carrying today. Perhaps some of us are experiencing death, whether it be emotional, whether it be really grieving of a physical death. One day by day, we are getting older. But, oh Lord, incarnation proves that there's life to live now. So, God, help us to look to you today. And help us to fight for the joy. Help us to pursue you and share what you have done in our lives. So Jesus, we thank you for being with us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.